Welcome to this packed edition of CTSNet Beat. This is CTSNet's own podcast. My name's Joel Dunning, and in this packed edition, we're going to talk about the grubby affair of the Excel trial and European guidelines. I'll give you an update on where we're at uh, with the Excel trial. We have a great meta-analysis of 23 RCTs in PCI versus Graph published in JAMA. Uh, and just to round off our summary of everything in coronary artery surgery, a new modification to the syntax score has just been published in The Lancet. We're going to look at the brand new guidelines for aortic emergencies in COVID published in the JTCVS. And there is massive news in the New England Journal of Medicine uh, in the field of lung cancer resection. Osimertinib after lung cancer resection transforming uh, disease-free survival. And then for our major part of this podcast, I'm going to tell you about my visit to Cambridge Medical Robotics and also the latest on the rise of the robots. The robots are here, the robots are coming. And so stay tuned uh, and listen to CTSNet podcast as we take you through all these items. So first, let's talk about the grubby affair of the Excel trial and European guidelines. Uh, this is an article that we posted in JANS, and uh, it's in Medscape. So the Excel trial, uh, this was a trial of PCI versus graphs in left main stem disease. It was a massive trial, uh, and, uh, and it published. But the explosive scandal began in 2019 when Professor David Taggart, one of the co-authors uh, at EACS, announced that he was going to withdraw his name from the authorship list. Now, why did he do that? Well, the scandal began because in 2016, the Data and Safety Monitoring Board of Excel were looking at the data of PCI versus grass randomised, and they found that after three years... Uh, the survival curves were separating and widening. And, uh, and after three years, there was still a large number in the study. There was 400 in the PCI group and 426 in the GRASS group that had been followed for more than three years. And uh, survival curve was separating. This was really concerning. Uh, and the data uh, committee uh, mentioned this to the uh, to the. Uh, authors, uh, but uh, when they came to write this up, uh, and when they started to publish this, uh, they in the New England Journal of Medicine, they capped the survival curves at three years. They did not mention these large numbers of people going on beyond that, where the survival data was widening, and this was impacting and hurting patients. Uh, so David Taggart withdrew, withdrew his authorship, um, and, uh, and, and was brought this up. Um, David Taggart's opinion also uh, said that this was putting patients at disadvantage, but the other thing that was really controversial was that there was a very poor definition of myocardial infarction. Uh, they were using CKMBs, the levels were wrong, they were not using troponins. Um, the British Broadcasting Company did a major expose on this, uh, the trialists uh, tried to fight uh, this major announcement on our TV, trying to defend the use of CKMB, quite an old marker of myocardial injury, uh, and, uh, and the controversy continued. Now, 
it got even more complicated because the Noble trial came out, which was another randomised study in the same left main disease. And what did the Noble trial find? Well, it found that there was a difference between PCI and GOS. It agreed um, with the leaked data on the XL, this hidden group that had increased mortality in PCI, uh, and it disagreed with what they published in the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, giving further controversy. Now, in this Medscape article, they present us with really quite a shocking uh, figure in it. They go through all the lead authors uh, in the guidelines, and shockingly, they find that 30% of them had financial conflicts uh, with Abbott or a major stent company. And this really is quite striking, and this is quite a wake-up call for our cardiac surgical community, that in these studies that we think are whiter-than-white, major, multi-centre, randomised studies, in actual fact, these are being laid open to serious bias because of people with conflict. So let me give you an example. So um, Peter Capitan, our surgical chair on this guideline, is now the chief medical officer of Medtronic. Um, Stuart Head, uh, who was uh, on the uh, EX Guidelines Committee, now works for Medtronic. Uh, Patrick Sirius and, uh, and, and S. Windeker is also an advisor on Cardialysis, which is a sponsored company looking at, make, at doing guidelines uh, in, uh, and trials in stenting. And, uh, and there are several other examples documented in this. Um, and we're seeing this all over the place. Neil Moats uh, is now CMO of Structural Heart with Abbott. He was a cardiac surgeon. So we're seeing very rich stenting companies employing surgeons uh, to be uh, in their camp to help them present data from what we think are whiter-than-white RCTs. So where are we now? So EAX stood up and uh, withdrew support for the guidelines because the guidelines came out based on Excel uh, saying that PCI or graphs is equally uh, recommended in left main stem disease. And EAX said, no, this is not right. But the European Society of Cardiology um, held out saying they stood by the guidelines. Uh, but we've had an announcement on October the 6th um, the ESC and DX have agreed that we are going to review these very important guidelines because if you don't have guidelines supporting CABG over PCI in left main, then the cardiologist will just continue uh, doing the stenting. So David Taggart says, you know, it's been painful and bruising, but, but he's glad he blew the whistle on this uh, shocking scandal. And actually, we should all be tremendously grateful for him his amazing work on this, and also to EX for standing by him. Well done, you guys. So staying uh, on the thorny issue of PCI versus bypass graphs, uh, in our JANS uh, publications, we've got a new publication. It's the uh, overall and cause-specific mortality in randomised clinical trials comparing PCI with CABG, a massive meta-analysis. So this is published in JAMA, uh, and Steve Freems is the senior author, really respected uh, a surgeon, and David Taggart is a co-author, and, uh, and many uh, of our best surgeons are there. And they've uh, looked at 23 
randomized controlled trials in this area. This is 13,000 patients. This is a huge meta-analysis. And remember, this is only a meta-analysis on randomized patients. No cohort studies, so just these RCTs. What do they find? Uh, well, they give extra weight uh, to the arguments we've just been discussing. So PCI had a higher rate of all-cause mortality. PCI had a higher rate of cardiac-specific mortality. But also the new finding uh, of this meta-analysis is PCI has a higher mortality in the non-cardiac mortality. So somehow, not completely fixing uh, all the coronary disease or whatever the mechanism is, uh, PCI does not protect you even from non-cardiac mortality uh, and adds further weight to the fact that CABG uh, has a survival advantage. Well done, great publication and congratulations to the authors. And then just rounding off on uh, coronary disease, um, in our JANS uh, we report uh, in the Lancet there's been a publication of the new syntax score. Now a lot of us use syntax scoring or our cardiologists use it to justify PCI or graphs according to the, the level of syntax score and it's been updated um, it's, uh, it's in the Lancet and it's now called the Syntax 2 2020 uh, 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 um, score. Uh, and what they did, why they've slightly recalibrated it, is they externally validated it on some very large recent trials. The Freedom Trial, BEST and Pre-Combat Trial. 3,380 participants in these. So it is quite important to externally validate uh, your scores because obviously if you just have it on your your own syntax trial then that's that's just showing you the findings of your own study so it is really important to to uh, to, to tweak your scoring to make it the best possible and they say that this score outperforms all others now in 10 5 and 10 year major adverse events so in your practice uh, if you do routinely use the syntax score take a look at this paper and maybe suggest to your group uh, that maybe you should move over to the brand new Syntax Score 2, the 2020 version. So, uh, now moving away from coronary artery disease, moving to aortic emergencies. Uh, Mark Moon, Joe Bavaria uh, and many uh, of the most senior aortic uh, experts in the world have got together uh, with the AATS uh, and the Asian Society to come out, uh, published in the JTCVS, with a guideline in the triage and management of aortic emergencies in the COVID-19 era. Um, I have to be honest, uh, I thought the AATS were doing joint guidelines with the, AA, with the STS these days, uh, but uh, they don't seem to be here. But anyway, they've, they've put a really nice paper out. I suggest if you do take aortic emergencies, take a look at this paper, uh, as it's a really nice good summary of what you should do different. So they've got a nice little uh, set of uh, of, of figures just to show you what you should do. Now what, what they say, and I'm not sure I 100% agree with this, is they say if you've got a person that comes in with an aortic emergency, do a swab and if that swab is negative then they can go into a negative pathway into a routine operating room and into, into a routine green surgical ICU. This is certainly different to what we do in the UK due to the fact that we don't trust the COVID tests uh, my understanding is the COVID test is about 70 to 80% positive, not 100%. So certainly in the UK, we would not rely on a single test to, to tick someone off as green and 
in our own unit, we've actually had somebody swab twice negative. He had urgent coronary bypass grafts, and then he has turned up positive in our unit on a third swab. He'd been a week in hospital as well, uh, and now he's extremely unwell, prone due to COVID. Uh, but anyway, this guideline says one swab, you can go green. Um, if you don't have a status, treat them as red and go into COVID ORs and COVID ICUs. Uh, and then the the interesting extra here is if you are COVID positive, consider early intubation just to reduce viral spread uh, to people who may get in contact with you. Uh, again, they provide some nice uh, advice for referring facilities. Get a swab and into green, amber or red pathways according to whether they're negative, unknown or positive. And then down in the text, they've got some interesting uh, advice. Uh, if somebody arrests, they recommend chest compression should be withheld during any airway procedures to uh, reduce aerosolization. Uh, and they say, you know, if there is an arrest, maybe you should just consider stopping uh, in these patients and, uh, and terminate your resuscitative e efforts, especially uh, if they're COVID positive. Uh, and also they're saying, symptomatic COVID-19 patients seriously consider medical therapy or just palliation uh, if they're having an aortic dissection. You know, that's pretty controversial. It's probably the most controversial thing here. Uh, and uh, But actually, you know, I think that probably is really good advice. Um, they have further advice for intubation using video laryngoscopes, uh, early intubation. And, and I think we're all doing that a lot in our positive or unknown patients. Uh, and also, uh, they say for you as the surgeon, um, consider the most simple operation you possibly can. Just address the life-threatening issues. Don't get too complicated. I guess by that they mean don't do a full um, arch replacement with aortic root and reimplantation of the buttons. Just bang a tube graft in and get out. Uh, and, and I guess that's pretty sensible advice. So well done to them. Uh, great guidelines, well produced. So now we're going to move away from cardiac surgery uh, into thoracic surgery. And oh my God, what a massive paper has just been published in the New England Journal of Medicine. October the 29th, it is hot off the press uh, and it is huge for all thoracic surgeons out there. So what is this paper? This is a double blind uh, controlled trial. This is 682 patients randomized to either osimertinib or placebo. And who are the patients? So the patients are anybody uh, having uh, surgery with stage 2 to 3A disease. So not the very most early, but anybody with N1 or N2 disease, basically. Uh, and they have to have an EGFR mutation. Uh, but if they have got that, then half the group had osimertinib and the other half had standard adjuvant treatment. Uh, but the difference in survival, whoa, it is huge. So... 89% of the osimertinib compared to 52% had, uh, uh, had uh, disease-free survival. That is a huge difference. Uh, and, uh, and, and, there, and all the other markers of disease-free survival were huge. So this is massive. So surgeons out there, you know, pay huge attention to your EGFR testing as soon as you can and really push uh, for this new very expensive but big drug and uh, because you know survivals in the 80s and 90 percent for stage two and three that is huge uh, so well done great job huge study uh, check it out um, 
so now we're going to move on to the rise of the robots. We haven't heard a bit about, haven't heard too much about robots since coronavirus, but uh, things are moving pretty quickly. And um, so I'll just take you back to where we are with robotics right now. So obviously we all know that Intuitive are the giants. They've got the Ferraris of the robot world. They've got the amazing lineup. The SI has virtually gone. They're in the fourth generation where they have the X, the XI, and the single port XI. But uh, for those of you uh, in this area, um, Ismix uh, published a letter in April 15, uh, 2020, uh, one month after COVID started, as they were so horrified at what Intuitive is doing in cardiac robotics. Uh, Peter Sawalski, Bob Kai, Vina Tarani, Nivad, Hussain Balki, they all signed this letter. And what does this letter say? This letter says how horrified we are as a community uh, that Intuitive is withdrawing support for cardiac surgery robotics. Uh, and uh, they sent this as an open letter, and that's what they're doing. Intuitive have lost their bottle in cardiac robotics, even though there was a 40% increase in cardiac robotics in Europe last year. Uh, they, are, they are wanting to withdraw uh, the instruments. They're not wanting to create instruments for the XI, and this is a disaster, I would say. Um, we're all united in trying to encourage them not to do this, uh, but that is the situation we're at in Cardiac Robotics uh, in 2020. Now, I'll, I'll share some very fascinating information uh, in the UK. Um, I think I'm allowed to. Uh, anyway, keep it quiet. But, uh, but in, in Britain, uh, we very recently in the north of England have had uh, Intuitive uh, buy back an SI robot and give it to a cardiac surgery unit uh, so that they could carry on cardiac surgery robotics. So I think even in Intuitive, there is a bit of a split uh, in where they're going in cardiac surgery robotics. I think the European Intuitive team really want to carry it on in any way possible, whereas I think the big cheeses down in San Francisco want to cull it. So let's watch this space. If, uh, if small groups can make it a success, uh, then maybe we will see a resurgence in the intuitive world. So where are the other robotic companies? Because if intuitive aren't going to support cardiac surgery, uh, then maybe other others will come along. And also, I should just say that in thoracics, uh, robotics is absolutely whizzing along. It's rocketing up. And to be fair to intuitive, they have an amazing new system called the single port. I've used it myself in a cadaver, and it is phenomenal. To me, it would be the number one way I would like to do a thoracic surgical operation. Uh, I did a single port, sub-ziphoid approach. I had three arms in the chest. I put the stapler by the side. It was amazing. I got the best view of Station 7. Phenomenal. I, um, I would love to use a single port robot in thoracics. They're not supporting it yet, but I hope in the future they will. What about the other companies? So Medtronic, uh, they're the biggest company out there that's probably making a robot. They, they uh, have a robot called Hugo. Uh, it used to be called Einstein. Do not ask me why they've changed it to Hugo. Major mistake in my view. But anyway, uh, they announced actually uh, last year that uh, they had it all ready to go and it was going to be coming out. They, they did a, a big press release that was first 2020 
and then uh, and then they said first half of 2021. But there's been a very recent uh, uh, first quarter earning calls by CEO Jeff Martha. Uh, in coronavirus, uh, Medtronic's uh, revenue has fallen 26%, and they're actually announcing further delays to their robotic program. So they're thinking that currently we're not going to see their robot until autumn 2022. That's quite a disappointment because they're probably going to be the major company that's going to come along saying, hey, if you buy all your instruments from Medtronic, then you know we'll give you free robots. Uh, now, I have heard on the grapevine um, clinical studies of uh, Hugo. Uh, it's been seen in Orsi uh, in Europe. And a few people have said to me, uh, it's pretty big and clunky. They basically have one separate uh, base unit per arm. So you've got four of these base units. They're enormous. They're about six or seven foot tall. Uh, and each of them have to go around the patient. And then their surgeon consoles, huge and kind of a ripoff of the intuitive one. Uh, and then they have a patient card. So it is going to be big. It's going to be pretty clunky, but it'll have the power of Medtronic behind it. So the Covidian staplers will work, energy will work. So we're excited, but uh, it ain't coming anytime soon, unfortunately. What about their arch rivals, J&J, uh, &J, uh, Ethicon? Well, um, they've done an earnings call, and Johnson Johnson, uh, they, they talked mainly about uh, Oris Health. Uh, you may not know, but they bought for 3.4 billion uh, Oris Healthcare, which has a robotic bronchoscope. Uh, they tell us in this earnings call that it has been used more than a thousand times. And if I was putting money on a company, I would put it all on robotic bronchoscopy. The future of lung surgery is robotic bronchoscopy. We're going to take biopsies and then we're going to ablate them. We'll have the tissue for the uh, molecular studies, but we're going to be ablating them. They're all going to be coming to us through uh, screening programs. They're going to be tiny 8mm tumours, and really that is going to be the next 10 years. So I think they've been phenomenally clever with uh, going with Monarch. But what about their real robot? Well, when they bought uh, Oris, that came with the person who set it up, Fred Moll. Who's Fred Moll? Well, Fred Moll set up Intuitive. He's one of the founders of Intuitive, one of the giants of robotic surgery, and he now works for J&J. &J. Their robot is called Verb, uh, and they have been working on it for years, and the latest we've got is that uh, they're still working on it. They've got a new CEO for this project, Kurt Azabazian. Uh, I actually went and visited Verb about, uh, oh God, it seems like forever ago now, two, three years ago. They had beautiful arms coming out of the table from underneath, but, but it seems that they seem to be hitting problem after problem, and there is no announcement about where they're at. There's no uh, plans for when they're coming to the market. So, so I think they're quite far away, really. So if Medtronic are 2022, and they've already shown us all their plans, and they've, they're, they're in cadaveric studies, then I think J&J &J must be two to three years further away. So what else is out there? Well, there's a there's another intuitive ripoff called Revo Eye out there, but I haven't seen much about that. I think they probably won't come to the West because of uh, because of breaches of patent laws. Uh, and then the only other thing on the market is Cambridge Medical Robotics, a robot called Versius. 
So where are we with this? Well, this is a huge company being set up in Cambridge. Uh, it's now Britain's third big, biggest uh, medical devices company. Uh, and where are they now? Well, they've done a thousand cases uh, in people. They have robots in Edinburgh, Manchester, London, Paris, Italy uh, and India. And they are working. Um, they are only in the abdomen at the moment, but uh, I went up to Dundee uh, this last week and we did some cadaveric studies setting up how we're going to do thoracic surgery with this robot. And the thing I learned is that every time you change a system, it comes with its own special advantages and disadvantages. So, so I am an intuitive user. And, uh, and I obviously love the intuitive robot, but it clashes a bit. You have to put all the arms in a line, and, and, uh, and there are some disadvantages. So CMR has one arm uh, per base unit. You bring these four very small base units around the patient. I really encourage you to go look at their website, because it is tiny. It is dinky. Uh, and it is really cool. And they're even saying you could move it between hospital to hospital. And I really believe they can do that. Now, putting them in the right place has all its own different challenges because they, they clash less, but they move in different ways. So you've got to design a whole new way of doing your ports. Um, the arms are smaller. Uh, the camera is really nice and tiny. And uh, we did lobectomies with it, which was great to see. So there is a collaborative group. Um, uh, Dr. Sarkarian is one of our collaborators in London. We've got Tom Routledge and we're working in Patworth as well. Uh, so there's a lot of enthusiastic robotic thoracic surgeons out there developing CMR. It's going to be cheaper, it's going to be more nimbler and it's in the market right now. Now we were going to go to, go to India uh, in April to do the first thoracic surgery uh, in a, a patient but that got cancelled because of Covid of course but I think we're probably three or four months away from doing our first thoracic case. And, uh, and actually, this is the next one in the market. So keep an eye out. Uh, the robots are coming. Uh, Intuitive is still the giant. They're still the number one in the market. But Cambridge Medical Robotics is, is going to be number two. Medtronics is probably going to be number three. And then J&J, &J, uh, yep, I'm afraid they're plodding, plodding round the, the track. But they'll get there and they'll be good when they come. So exciting times for robots. Uh, and uh, so watch this space. So I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Uh, so from myself, Joel Dunning, and everyone at uh, CTSnet, please do subscribe to our podcast. Also look out for our jams where we put all the latest and hottest papers in our specialty out for you to discuss. And if you have anything you'd like us to discuss on this podcast, get in touch. You know, you could even come on the podcast and chat about your favourite innovation in cardiac or thoracic surgery. Goodbye. <laughs>